Hello everyone and welcome back to The Burning Case, the podcast where we dive headfirst into the burning issues shaping our world and explore how policymaking and radical democracy are essential to make sure that our future is not only green, but also fair and inclusive. I'm Chloe and I'm joined by my partner and friend Melissa. Together, we're your friendly and fiercey guides on this journey through the crossroads of the crisis we're facing, EU politics, and how your voice has the power to create change. Whether you're a seasoned activist, a curious learner, or a skeptical bystander, consider this your invitation to join the conversation. So this is The Burning Case, where dialogue fuels progress and your voice shapes tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of The Burning Case. With the 2024 EU elections right around the corner, we've decided to kick off election content with a two-part mini-series on how to defeat the far right. So in today's episode, we will be speaking to Nika Kovac, the founding director of the 8th of March Research Institute, who will be sharing her experience as a movement leader and her advice on how to defeat conservative movements while spreading hope and positivity. Enjoy this inspiring talk between Chloe and Nika. Okay, so for the first part of this episode, I'm very happy to be here with Nika Kovac, who is the founding director of the 8th of March Research Institute, a movement-building organization that uses storytelling and advocacy to confront gender and economic inequalities across Slovenia. Thank you so much, Nika, for taking the time um, and being on the episode. Before we start, we have a question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your coffee order? <laughs> It's a uh, latte macchiata. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> one before that's that's a, a new one cool thank you um we'll dive straight in but you're literally doing so much crucial work on various issues ranging from environmental protection to gender equality from a movement perspective and we'll get back to this in a minute but before i have a sort of controversial question i would say because i saw you actually got involved in party politics back in 2012 so um, if you had to say what is the most impactful to create change party politics or movement work No, definitely movement. Um, when I was a student, when I was 21, I was part of a political party. And this party was like very progressive. We were a student movement at the beginning. And then we basically created a party. But soon I realized that like my heart and home is on the street with the people. I strongly believe that we need a civil society to protect democracy. But I also think that we need to work with political parties. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so you've done a lot of campaigning work, as I mentioned, in 2016. And correct me if I'm wrong, because all of this is from research I did. Huh? So I'm going to do a little bit of your biography. In 2016, you created the 8th of March Institute, reference to the International Women's Day, with the aim of raising awareness about equality. And the Institute initiated the Slovenian Me Too campaign and led a nationwide campaign to change the legal definition on rape and sexual violence in accordance with the yes means yes consent model. Until that, still correct? Amazing. And more recently in 2021, you were in the team that coordinated a national referendum about the amendments to the Water Act that endangered drinking water and water courses. And you first collected the 40,000 signatures for calling the referendum and then leading the referendum campaign that in the end gave a gigantic historic victory. Um, so my question is, what pushed you to work on these topics and how do you see them intertwined together? Because on one side, we've got feminism and on the other side, we've got environmentalism. Um, why is it important for you to work on both? Because sadly, still, for a lot of people, including in some political parties, you, you do either one or the other. 
but you don't necessarily work on both. Yeah, so like at the beginning, we were formed like a feminist organization. We are mostly um, made out of young women who um, try to change the world. And we also always said that if you are a feminist, you fight for social justice. Um, and in one moment, we also realized that the topic of social justice is strongly connected with environmental rights. Um, so for us, there was no question about the water referendum. When environmental organizations called us and asked for help, we said, like, of course, we will do it. We will do a campaign because we strongly believe that if we lose the access to free water, um, basically the people who are poorer will be endangered and it's also a fight against the elites and after this we did another referendum on um, politicization of media um, which we also won in every single city in Slovenia and right now we are fighting against one uh, big company who is uh, damaging the air in one small city in Slovenia so all those topics for us are interconnected mm. If we don't have free media, we cannot speak the truth. If we don't have clean water and clean air, we live in really shitty environment. And all of these campaigns are connected with social differences, which are always connected with gender. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And just a quick question. Is it uh, quite common to use referendums in Slovenia for policy change? No, this is like our own invention. We, we are really lucky in Slovenia because you can do two things by constitution. Firstly, you can suggest a law to national um, parliament. If you collect 5,000 verified signatures, you can suggest a law and you can call for a referendum. And I think that um, how we work, we change the way the, so, uh, the civil society works in Slovenia. So it become common that we write laws and then ask members of parliament, do you agree with us or not? And it's the easiest way to get their honest opinion. Yeah, it makes a, and it's, it's a very cool and interesting way to do it, I think, because, for instance, in Belgium, we never use referendums. So it's, it's actually difficult to really mobilize the civil society around one topic and then try to get people to get involved because, and that's a, an issue in a lot of countries in Europe, right? People feel involved only once every five years when they have to vote for the big elections, but not in between. Um, so you've secured some of these victories when most of the policymakers were conservatives, right? So in your experience, you know, what works and what doesn't work when you're working with conservative um, governments to bring about change? Because you're the living example that you can still bring really progressive victories, even when the people in power are really far from agreeing with you on some of the topics. Yeah, so in Slovenia, we had government of Janez Janša, his best friend of Viktor Orban, his semi-authoritarian leader, and um, the, our country changed. Like, he intervened in the media, he took over control of the police, um, the protesters were beaten on the street, it was like really, really bad what happened with our country. And the huge protest movement happened in Slovenia. Um, we were on the streets every Friday when he was in the governance. Um, but for us, this wasn't enough because we always had a feeling that like, um, we need to do more. We need to connect the people through nice topics, through 
topics where we agree. So the first topic was um, the redefinition of law. Um, and we did something really special with this campaign. We involved women who had experience with sexual harassment. And we also involved women who vote for the right. So we asked them to go to their political parties and speak about their experience. And we were really clear that um, if, when it comes to sexual harassment, um, all the victims need their protection in the National Assembly, no matter what the party is. And something beautiful happened. Um, most of the parties voted for our law, and it was a big victory in the time of the worst government. Um, and then when the referendum for water came, um, we always spoke, this is about the water. We will speak about the water. We want to connect the people around topics which are important for them, but also through referendum show what kind of things is the government doing. And for us, this is the basic way and the basic mission to get a concrete topic, to get a concrete question connect the people around it and use personal testimonies of people who are affected by a certain situation and gather solidarity. So you're really putting people that are the most affected to the front line and essentially getting to them to gather around a common issue and talking to their decision makers, no matter who they are at this moment in power. Yeah, and also like we use a lot of humor. Every single time we do a campaign, we laugh a lot, we um, have these silly jokes, um, we try to connect the community, we organize parties for people gathering because we always say that people need to feel nice when they are doing the campaigning. This is their free time and they need to find like a spark of enjoyment in it. Um, and we are never rude. Like our first rule is that we are always kind, that we never... Uh, talk dirty, we used a lot of jokes. And even though the previous prime minister was for quite some time really obsessed with me, most of his tweets were about me, how I look, what I do, how spoiled I am. Um, we decided that we will never act like bad to it, but we will use humor, make fun of it, and also take legal charges. So I think this is our um, core rule. And I also would like to say something. People sometimes think that it is enough to be like on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, to do like digital campaign. We don't do just this. We are present in every single city in Slovenia. We have field groups across whole the country. We strongly believe that being present in cities in villages is um, the key to the success. And I have a feeling that usually progress are not so present within the people and we try to change this yeah and it makes a lot of sense and there's also this polarization that's happening also between the rural world and the urban world um yeah and oh there's so much i want to come back to and I'll, I'll come back in a second with follow-up questions on how you dealt with the attention from the like previous uh, prime minister also in terms of tactics you mentioned the, the joy and the happiness and i read somewhere that you gave flowers to a lot of people before the election and that is literally making my heart sing because i think it's such a beautiful thing to do um but going back to this prime minister and this and this recent change because you also worked on a campaign which i found incredible when i was researching it um once again correct me if i'm wrong it's all from research it's the go out to vote movement in slovenia which you coordinated so as a bit of context for people um so until 2022 
Yanis Jansa, I hope I said it correctly. So as you said, a very good friend of Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban uh, was on and off the president since 2012. And in 2022, after the elections, he was replaced by a newcomer to Slovenian politics, Robert Golob, whose freedom movement won more seats in parliament than all the right-wing parties. And actually in his first speech after his victory, he, so the new guy, Golob, pointed out that one of the reasons for his success was the active involvement of civil society, over the last year, aka you guys. So can you explain a little bit how you started the Go Out to Vote movement and what was your method? Okay, so basically like when we won the water referendum, suddenly all people were saying, you need to become a political party. You are the new hope for Slovenia. And our um, answer was really honest. We don't want to be a party. We love the movement. Um, And I think that we would also quite suck as the political party. So for us, it was clear that we want to do something different and we decided for go out and vote campaign. But we didn't want to do just regular go out and vote campaign. We want to use the content. We want to do something. And then we realized that we can do a campaign for a law, for a new law initiative. So what we did is that we asked the people, what are the worst laws that Yansha accepted? What are you angry about? And we got more than 1,000 suggestions. Out of this, we chose 12. For example, like um, Yansha took over control over the police, over the schools. He allowed guns to um, some uh, civil society organizations. He brought Uber to Slovenia, which was really bad for taxi drivers. So we we did like one big law, which brought the country back to normal. It was like the Omnia repeal law. And uh, we collected signatures for this law and we asked all of the opposition parties like um, will you support the law when you are like uh, where you when you come to the power and they all like said yes so we were really honest that we will do a campaign for opposition parties who are supporting our law and we went on the street we were we were present in like every single community Um, we uh, talked regularly about importance of changing the um, government and one huge advantage for us was that I was living in New York. I was coordinating the whole campaign from New York, which basically meant that I didn't sleep for one year because I was like studying during the day and then like at the night I was doing the campaign. But I was living with people from India, people from Africa, people from different countries who told me what authoritarians are doing. So they said, like, firstly, they took over the media, then they took over the police, then they attack you physically, then they attack you verbally, then they will try to close down your, down your organization. So we knew what are their steps. I always say authoritarians have a toolbook which they are going through and they do same things in every country. And It was true. In one moment, we got an email that um, we were put under the investigation and that they want to close us down. Um, And in that moment, we said, "Hmm, what we will do? We knew that we are innocent, but like we also didn't know what will happen. So we got the team of best lawyers and they protected us. But more importantly, we said we will just become a flower movement. We will just buy a lot of flowers, go on the street, give the flowers out and just do the same campaign. And um, they didn't close us down, but we still did the flower thing. So basically we said we are the flower movement, flowers are bringing change, we would like to change something, that's why we are giving you flowers. 
Yeah. So that's that's incredible and it's crazy that you had to go through all of this. And I'll I'll ask you in a second how did that make you feel? But also just as a follow-up to your tactics, I think it's really interesting how your offline presence is is so wide, as you said. You were in villages, you were in towns, you were just not just in the capital, essentially doing this work. So does that mean that you relied a lot of on on volunteers? And then how do you how do you maintain a sense of, of involvement within the volunteers? Because I, th I think this is what a lot of movements struggle with, right? People super excited in the beginning, being like, oh, we're going to come together and we're going to bring about change around the common idea or common project. But then little by little, also life happens. And, you know, um, and at the end of the day, there's less and less people that, that are part of the movement. Yeah. So firstly, we are really lucky that Slovenia is quite small. In Slovenia lives 2 million people. So it's really easy to go from one place to another but also we really take care for our volunteers we think that like they need to celebrate something in every like week or every two weeks we talk with them we don't take them for granted we take them as crucial part of our community and we also try a lot to visit them and to do some common activities. We also learned that we need to be really explicit in what kind of things we need and how we need them, because throughout this, like, we can actually um, do something. Um, so my advice would be, like, to think, like, um, about your volunteers as about crucial thing for your organization. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes it happens that you don't have the media support. Sometimes it, it happens that, like, everything falls apart but like those people stay and that's why we need to protect them yeah absolutely um i have three more questions the, the first one is really on you i mean you mentioned how you got a lot of attention from the former prime minister um i've read online that you also got death threats and so how do you deal with this you know how do you deal being the target of the far right of conservatives um, for what you're doing and especially I think as a young woman because there's an added layer of course to this it was really hard and it was harder when I came back from United States because like when I was living in New York I didn't know how like how things escalated in Slovenia I was just living my own life there and like trying to do the campaign um, and I didn't get only threats. I was also physically attacked. Like a lot of people were on the court also. Some of them still will be. And they were found guilty. Um, some of them even sat on the court that they want to kill me. And for me, like my life has changed. Like I cannot be normally on the street in Slovenia. Um, I always am surrounded with my team. Uh, I started working a lot abroad because I needed some time to have my privacy. But I always say that like this is just like the way how they want to shut you down, how they want to shut down critical voices, how they want to shut down voices who are spe speaking about corruption, who are speaking about like bad governance. And I also like came to a realization and this was the moment when everything became really much easier for me that is mostly about the idea. So it will happen probably one day that something bad will happen to me. And um, I always also say that, like, if I will die one day or if something bad will happen, like, there is the idea which will remain. And behind me, there are more um, young, smart, powerful women who will speak about the same things, do the same campaigns, and the idea will live. You cannot kill the idea when idea is so strong and present. 
Yeah, but first of all, I'm really sorry to hear. I think it's insane that this is happening to you and and think we sh yeah we shouldn't normalize this it's absolutely crazy and it's insane how regularly they target young women with ids as you said um my follow-up question is sort of the essence of the episode and it's a very broad one but i think it's a question that a lot of people who are gearing up for the 2024 elections are asking themselves it's you know especially in the context of increased nationalism fake news um polarization foreign influence as well how do we win against the far right. I think that victory is never like granted. And I also think that like what we did in Slovenia, maybe we won't be able to do in like next three years when there will be new round of elections. But what I think is that we shouldn't focus on hate. We should focus on like positive content, on content which is giving dignifying life to everyone and speak about that content and search allies where we usually don't search for allies. Um, I fully support coming out of our social bubble. I think we, that we are too often closed. One of the best collaborations we had was like with influencers, with people that we usually don't hang out, but then they became like your strong supporters. And I think that we need to build coalitions, coalitions of hope, be really clear that we want like a good life for everyone and also be present and don't be quiet. Um, mm -hmm. What they want do usually is try to make us feel afraid, is try to make us feel scared. And we shouldn't be. We should keep our voice loud and continue with fighting. And so when this happens, uh, when we're trying to build these coalitions and when, try when we're trying to talk to actors that we don't usually talk to, does this mean to you also making coalitions with, let's say, the centrist, you know, the people that are more on the center of the political chessboard? If, if the aim is to, is to fight this, especially we're looking at the elections, this alliance between conservatives and the far right that is happening right now, do we need to indeed reach out to more of the center of the political chessboard? Yeah, I, I believe this. I also believe that like sometimes people also, I have this theory that like there is no political center. I think that when we speak about the content, we want the same things. We want public health. We want the um, good education. We want clean environment. We want nature. Um, of course, like the elites and the capital wants different things, but most of the people, like everyday common people, want the same thing. And if we speak about the concrete stuff, we will become connected with them. One of my favorite memories was when someone stopped me and he had a T-shirt of Yansha's party. And that person said to me, and I thought, oh my God, he will beat me up. But he said, you know, like I voted for water referendum because I decided that in that case, I trust you. And for me, this was the big realization that like, People are not stupid. People do not just go with the parties. People think about the content and they're willing to listen and they are willing to do amazing things. And um, they are not like puppets. They won't do just something because the one government is saying to them. So for me, like the main thing, which I also think is that like people don't disappoint. Like, and if we try to explain to them, give them the knowledge, don't manipulate them, they will do what is right. Mm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it's um, it's actually a perfect link to my my final question is, in 2024, 2023, 2024, it's such a big election year for so many countries across Europe. And of course, the European elections in, in June 2024. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any hope for the 2024 elections? Or are you a bit more on the cautious side? I think that like we always need to have hope and um, I have quite some ideas what to do with the elections in uh, next years. I cannot speak about them now, but one thing which I really think is that there is a time that we step out of our national bubbles and do something together and that also we hold members of European Parliament accountable. So I think that we will speak more in the future and that um, we need to strengthen the relationship across the nations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. More <laughs> European stuff, yeah. which not that many people care about, but we'll make them care about <laughs> it. Thank you so much for joining. It was it was great. It was so clear. And I think it will be useful for a lot of speakers, uh, speakers, listeners. Sorry. Um, so thank you again for joining this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Burning Case podcast. We really hope you liked it. If you want to support the podcast, click follow on Spotify or Apple Music. It will help others find us. And if you think other people might find our content interesting, don't hesitate to share on your social media or in the old-fashioned way by talking about us to your friends and community. We hope you'll be back for the next episode. And in the meantime, have a really great day.